Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. This is Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church right here in Spencer, Iowa. And we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod coming to you this Sunday, the 30th of January, to celebrate this, the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, also known as the Sunday of the Calming of the Storm, which you will see describes not only the gospel lesson today, but also the Old Testament as well. And here at the beginning of the podcast, we continue to look at our Divine Service Catechesis, which is on the Congregation at Prayer. And today we're looking at the one from last week as we continue to catch up. And we continue to look in the Office of the Word of the Divine Service. And today we are looking at the Creed. Now, the word Creed simply comes from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. So if anyone asks you as a Christian what you believe and you begin to say, "Uh, well, I believe, Well, there you have your creed. And the church over the centuries in her wisdom has distilled from the scriptures a summary of the faith in three creeds, which is really a family jewel that the church has given to us, like a mother to her child, so that we don't always have to find the words when we say, I believe. Every Christian has a creed, whether he knows it or not. You can either adopt what the church has given us, or you can try to come up with your own. And the creeds that we do have from the church themselves can be traced back to the scriptures. And we can see creeds, hints of creeds already from the Apostle Paul in his writings to Timothy and Titus and elsewhere. The creeds already at the time of the Apostles were starting to develop. Now the church herself has three ecumenical creeds, creeds that all Trinitarian churches adopt or at least can say that they believe what is in them. And if you profess to be a Christian, you must be in agreement with these three creeds. For those who agree with what are in the creeds, they are Christian, because they are confessing who our God is. For those who disagree with these creeds, they are confessing a different God and they are outside the faith. Now, the first of these three creeds is the Apostles' Creed. And from the time of the Apostles onwards, churches everywhere had originally, from the scriptures, developed creeds which new Christians were to confess at their baptism. And no matter where you looked, every church's creed confessed the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, straight from Matthew 28. The creeds in different areas and different churches may have differed in some small wording here and there from place to place, but they all confessed the Trinity. They confessed the same thing. And this became to be known as, this baptismal creed became to be known as the Apostles' Creed, the creed which confessed the faith which the Apostles passed down to us in the Scriptures. And the form of the Apostles' Creed that we teach from and that we confess found its final form in the middle of the 8th century and arose out of Rome. The Apostles' Creed is what we teach from in catechesis and is what we confess in services on Sundays that doesn't have Holy Communion or that we confess uh, throughout the week for communion services throughout the week but aren't feast days. The second of these creeds is the Nicene Creed. Now, in the 4th century, the church began to battle heresy from a man named Arius, and he taught against the Trinity and against Christ being fully God and fully man, against Christ being the Son of God from eternity. To combat this heresy, the church gathered together in Nicaea, what is called the Council of Nicaea, and they would meet twice again to combat this heresy in a council in Constantinople, and again later on in the Second Council of Nicaea. Now, in those three councils, they formulated a creed to confess the faith purely and to combat Arius, 
And that creed today is known as the Nicene Creed, developed in the 4th century. In this creed, the two natures of Christ are given more focus, and for that reason. This creed is confessed in every Sunday service that has communion and every feast day that is celebrated. The third and final creed of the church is the Athanasian Creed. This creed is named after, as you could guess, St. Athanasius, who was the foremost opponent against Arius and had a strict adherence to the, to the Trinity. He kept the teachings of the church pure. Now, this creed was not written by him. We don't know who wrote this creed, actually, but it was named after him for the faith that he so courageously defended, and rightfully so. This is the longest by far of the three creeds, but for a reason. It is the most exhaustive in teaching the Trinity and in teaching the two natures of Christ. The Church confesses this creed once a year, every year, on the Feast of the Holy Trinity. And some churches, in our circles at least, have adopted confessing this creed more throughout the year. Now, some do it in different ways, but most notably on Christmas Day, Easter, and Pentecost, maybe sometimes the baptism of our Lord as well. Now, in the prayer offices, which Matins is, it's a prayer office, it's a service of prayer, Matins, Vespers, and some others, in those prayer offices, a creed is not typically confessed. But the reason is this, at least in Matins, is that we sing in Matins the Te Deum. And if you look at the bulletin for today, at what is being sung in the Te Deum, you'll see that just like in the creeds, in this song, we confess the Trinity and the faith there as well. With that, let's now turn to our matin service with the hymn of invocation, Blessed Jesus at Your Word.
O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. Christ hath appeared unto us. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Christ hath appeared unto us. O come, let us worship him.
Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distress. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. O that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. These see the works of the Lord, and his wonders in the deep. He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, and lifteth up the waves thereof. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distress. He maketh the storm a calm, and that the waves thereof are still. The Old Testament lesson for this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany is written in the first chapter of the book of the prophet Jonah, beginning at the first verse. Now the Lord's word came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid its fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty storm on the sea, so that the ship was likely to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost parts of the ship, as he was laying down, and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Maybe your God will notice us so that we don't perish. They all said to each other, Come, let's cast lots, that we may know who is responsible for this evil that is on us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they asked him, Tell us, please, for whose cause this evil is on us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What have you done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may be calm to us? For the sea grew more and more stormy. He said to them, Take me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you, for I know that because of me this great storm is on you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get them back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Therefore they cried to the Lord and said, We beg you, Lord, we beg you, don't let us die for this man's life, and don't lay on us innocent blood. For you, the Lord, have done it as it pleased you. So they took up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord prepared a huge fish to swallow up Jonah, 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The epistle is written in the thirteenth chapter of Romans, beginning at the eighth verse. Brothers, owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there are, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't harm a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Alleluia! The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Alleluia! The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 8th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When Jesus got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, a violent storm came up on the sea, so much that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. The disciples came to him and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are dying. He said to them, Why are you fearful? O you of little faith! Then he got up, rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to the light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the 1520s, Luther was writing like crazy. In this year alone, he wrote multiple works which were considered to be major works of the Reformation. And one work, On the Freedom of the Christian, Luther wrote to the Pope to show that his Reformation was not hostile towards the papacy and to show his theology and that it fights against the ungodly teachings, he said, which had entered the church. Now, of course, this work would actually get him in trouble with the Pope and later would later rage against him. But from this document, among the others, the Reformation was pushed forward. What was it in this work on the freedom of the Christian which got Luther in trouble? Well, it was this line on which the entire work was based, in which Luther reveals about the Christian A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. That's quite a saying. Initially, it can sound like nonsense, and even more so 
completely disconnected from our readings today. But let's take a closer look at what Luther says and our readings. For instance, let's take a look at our gospel today, where our Lord calms the storm, remembering that every Sunday in Epiphany, our Lord is revealing, manifesting, teaching something about himself. Today, our Lord reveals and manifests his great power. After all, look at the gospel again. Here the disciples follow Jesus into the boat, and the boat itself is then tossed around by a terrible storm that rocked it terribly and threatened to capsize it. It was swamped by the waters which entered and threatened to sink it. The storm was so bad that the twelve disciples, twelve middle-aged, able-bodied, experienced fishermen, they couldn't get the boat under control. These weren't the blind men of some other readings, or crippled men, or diseased men with leprosy. These were healthy men who knew how to live in the sea. And in this storm, they were helpless and hopeless. If they don't have the power to save themselves from the storm, nobody else would either. That's how bad the storm was. Yet here was Christ, more sound asleep in the nave of the boat than even Jonah was. And what does this carpenter's son, who lived away from the sea in Nazareth, who grew up there, away from the sea, what does this carpenter's son do when the twelve yell at him? Well, he wakes up, maybe rubs his eyes, comes out, comes out on the deck, and simply says, Peace, be still. And that was it. The storm was calmed. So great was our Lord's power and might revealed that it left the twelve marveling and saying, What sort of man is this? Well, this is a man of great power, whose words carry his power. Or are his power. Where twelve able-bodied fishermen were dying, here one man of great power stood and spoke. Now, in my life, I've been a boss, a supervisor, a manager, a parent, and I know how little power I have and how little power my word has. It's difficult enough to get an employee or child to do what I want with a simple word, but to stop a terrible storm with what I say? Well, that's unfathomable. That's a power I'd never dream of possessing. That's a power that, if someone showed it in front of me, I'd be scared witless. And that's the power Jesus reveals here. But if it was only power which Jesus revealed to us, that would bring absolutely no comfort. On its own, this revelation of power would only bring fear. Look out into the world at what people believe, and besides the atheists and agnostics, of which there are some, Beyond them, there are billions of people who believe in a god or gods. There are many religions from these people that teach about powerful gods. So that even all pagans know that there is a god who is powerful. But look at all of the pagan gods. Look at the other gods of other religions. None of those gods bring any true comfort or healing or aid or protection. They rule over their subjects with power. Power to coerce them into good works. Into frightening them. 
Look out into the world also at the world powers, and you'll see the same thing manifested there. Wherever a nation holds power, Throughout history, wherever a nation holds power, there it would use that power to terrorize and coerce. It's the same in business, the same in life. Power satiates a lust for the one who can grab it, but it never comforts on its own. Yet not so with our Lord and our God. Here the power of the word, which he used to create all things, is here put on display to calm the storm. It's not just that he reveals this power. It's that he reveals how he uses this power out of love for those who are in the boat, even when they're afraid, even when they lack faith. Our Lord here reveals to us that not only is he the Son of Man and the Son of God who has great power, but he uses that power for those whom he loves. And this is the same power in love which he reveals to you on the cross. Think of it. What man could fathom to take on all sin, take on all the world, take on the devil and all his power? What man could fathom to be powerful enough to approach the devil, steal away from him his weapon of death, and with that weapon crush his head with it? Even the healthiest and most able men here, even the healthiest and most able men throughout all history, would never fathom to hold or demonstrate such power. And yet... The word of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, came to earth for that very purpose. We said it before. In the manger, the world sees a helpless child. Yet in the manger is revealed to us one who holds this incredible power. And he came to invade the kingdom of the devil, to do war with our flesh, the world, and the devil out of his love. On the cross, the power shown in the seas is shown even greater as he gave his body and shed his blood for our sin. Consider this. If a mere word from him was powerful enough to stop the storm, what would the death of such a powerful man, along with the words, it is finished, do? It would crush the head of the serpent, neuter him of his power, it would overcome the world, put to death the simple flesh which he took from us. Our Lord in his power accomplished it all. He accomplished the entire law out of his love for you. Because we who were helpless in the sea of the world in the storm of our sin, we couldn't do it. He accomplished all. He gives us his righteousness and power because of his love. And so Luther says, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. That is, no one, not even Satan himself, can now come up to you and demand that in order that you have eternal life you need, and to avoid the damnation of hell, you must perfectly love God, not murder, not commit adultery, and so on. No one can demand that of you. Satan once had that power to terrorize with death, to accuse and terrorize with death, but no longer. For you who are baptized and who are catechumens of the word, lifelong catechumens of the word, 
You are the disciples who have followed Jesus into the boat of the church. And here in the boat of the church, our Lord, by his death and word, has calmed the storm for you. He has saved you. He has freed you from the waves and the storm. He has taken the weapon and power of death from Satan over you and defeated Satan with it. Because he is the almighty, all-powerful God in our flesh. You are a perfectly free Lord of all because no one can demand you do the law for your salvation. No one can demand that you, like the fishermen, save yourself from the storm because Christ already did it. Peace be still. You are a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, because Christ in his power has accomplished it on the cross and given it to you in the word and sacraments by his love. He reveals to us today that his power used in love has set you free. And yet Luther still says and ends with this, A Christian is perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. How is it that we can, at the same time, be a perfectly free Lord and a perfectly dutiful servant? While Luther here is doing nothing but echoing St. Paul in our epistle, where he begins, Oh, no one anything. Well, when we hear St. Paul, we can also ask, How can we owe anyone anything if Christ accomplished it all for freed from all? It's because as ones who still live in the sinful flesh, we still sin against one another. And when we sin against each other, against our brother in the church or our enemy in the world, we are indebted to them. Being indebted to anyone in such a way makes any Christian nervous, uncomfortable. And so St. Paul says, oh, no one, anything. That's not to say to try to play the sin off as nothing, but it is to say to be eager to ask the one you are indebted to, to forgive you, and to be eager to forgive those who are indebted to you as well. For you are free in Christ's forgiveness. Therefore, help each other remain free, dutiful lords, by forgiving each other in Christ. And so St. Paul continues this. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christ's forgiveness makes us free lords in that there is nothing the law may demand of us for our salvation, but the law which Christ reveals to us, the one fulfilled by his power, makes us lifelong debtors in love to all men, so that every person we meet makes demands on our love. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Not for our salvation, mind you. We've been saved, made us freed lords, saved by Christ's death. But subject to all, as Christ revealed his power on the boat and on the cross. As Christ did that, he also reveals his power from the cross through his church, so that as Christ used his power in love to save us, So we use our power, our Christian freedom, 
in love to reveal Christ's salvation to others. So that in Christ, in holiness, the commandments are not just negatives of what we're not supposed to do. They are also positives in Christ and how we are to love our neighbor. So then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It does not mean treat others as you want them to treat you. It's deeper than that. Instead, it means love others as Christ has loved you. Giving your body as a living sacrifice to God in love for the neighbor. So, as one Lutheran theologian put it, every person in our life, every person God puts in our life, makes demands on our love. And in this demand, Christ speaks through our every neighbor. Through the beggar that speaks to you, Christ says through him, You owe me a debt of love and generosity. When we're at work and co-workers or customers are irritable and mean, downright nasty, Christ speaks through them saying, You owe me a debt of love. When we're at church and a brother lashes out at us for even the smallest of things, Christ says through them, You owe me a debt of love and you need to forgive me. When our children or parents or siblings or other family members bring bring us to our last nerve and we feel impatience coming on, there Christ speaks through them, You owe me a debt of patience and love. Paul says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It can be easy. It can be really easy when such love, patience, forgiveness is demanded from us for us to say we are unable to make good on that debt because we're just not able. Because we think we're short on time or money or patience or forgiveness, whatever. Yet, You are a free Lord of all who has everything accomplished for you. You have been given everything in baptism, in the word, and at this altar. Being given everything, we leave the altar every Sunday with hearts full of love. The good we do may not be in material ways, at least not all the time. It can be, but not all the time. But all the time. Every time we can do good and word and deed to those who sin against us. And here in holiness, the commandments direct us, guide us. We can do good by loving our spouse and helping our neighbor love his spouse. And maybe closing our eyes and running when facing the lusts of this world. We can speak good of our neighbor or stay silent when asked for gossip. We can look at our neighbor as someone for whom Christ died and then blind ourselves as well to their faults and keep from judging them harshly. We can pull back our fist and offer up instead our open hand to help or give generously. We can use our feet and our cars not to run away from these demands of those in need, but to help give rides, pick up food, do favors, and so on. In these ways, Christ uses our power, our Christian freedom, in the face of the storm and sins of this world for those whom he loves and wants to save. And while this power may not be stopping the storm with a simple word, Christ's power of loving and saving those who hate and sin against us is even more powerful, or just as powerful. 
A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. In the power and love of Christ revealed today, all is accomplished and in your salvation. In the fulfilled law given to you by him crucified, you are a perfectly free Lord of all, having everything. In the righteousness and holiness of Christ in which you are being formed into his image, standing in the fulfilled law given by him crucified, you are a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all, not for your salvation, which Christ already accomplished, but in holiness in your salvation, from your salvation, to present your, ho- your body as a living sacrifice for God in love for the other. Perfectly free, perfectly dutiful. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Almighty God, who knows us to be set in the midst of so many and great dangers, that by reason of the frailty of our nature we cannot always stand upright, Grant to us such strength and protection as may support us in all dangers, and carry us through all temptations. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, 
and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our president, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our governor, the legislature of this state, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, Help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, 
neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen. letting us be a part of your devotions today and this week. And also this week, we'll be releasing two more podcasts. On Wednesday, February 2nd, we'll release a Vespers podcast to celebrate the Feast of the Purification of Mary and the Presentation of Our Lord, where we'll hear the Nuctaminis being sung by Simeon. And we'll also next Sunday be back as usual. Join us again then as we look to celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration of Our Lord where we say goodbye to the Alleluias, and where, after transfiguration, we begin, we begin our descent down from the Mount of Transfiguration in the Sundays of pre-Lent. 
We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church or CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for the podcast or want to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses listed at the top of the bulletin. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.